Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax, you have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us, holding to pure grace. Again, relax, join in with us. Listen on, be blessed. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm sitting across the table from you-know-who, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Hello, everybody. I'm glad you're sitting across the table from us. And it's going to be a good day, but we got a little bad news to share. Not bad news, but we are out. You want to just get this out of the way? Sure, sure, sure. We need a new internet promoter. I'll let you describe it. Yeah, yeah. What Bill's referring to is the fact that we had somebody that was within our budget managing the Facebook account and the Instagram account, and he was doing... Things were rolling along. We, We actually didn't know how well he was doing until we ran out of money and and couldn't use him anymore. Now we see the downloads plummeting compared to what they were when he was managing the account. So we're thinking we need to get a new person to manage the Facebook and Instagram again and promote us. So we're trying to do that on our budget, which is absolutely zero. So if he can help out, that, that would be good. But we're, we're looking for somebody, maybe maybe somebody from the Philippines, because that's 98% Christian, and their economy is not like the American economy the dollar goes a long way over there. We could pay somebody something we could afford, and that would be great pay for them in the Philippines. So I'm kind of looking towards the Philippines to try and find somebody that um, we can afford to manage our podcasting. Because it's not like Bill and I wouldn't do it, but we just can't. We don't have the expertise it takes. We, we we just fall on our faces. We're we come up short. Our incompetence on the internet is staggering. Reminds <laughs> <laughs> me of that movie. At no point did you do anything productive, <laughs> worthwhile. Yeah, that made any sense. That, that's us on the internet. We don't get too far too fast. All your effort was a complete waste of time. Yes. And resources. Like, so, yes, we. Like it was said in Isaiah 64, all your righteousness is as a filthy rag. That's what we produce is thorns and thistles. So, hopefully, everything will work out. Pray for us at the very least. Pray for us at the very least and always share the podcast with as many people as you can because we, we need to grow. There's one in Isaiah, I think, isn't it about she tried, the woman tried to give birth, but she just 
paper to win. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, that's us. Yeah, yeah. But we own it. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. By way of review, last week we were ended up in First Corinthians twelve. And I probably want to take off from there. I want to launch from there. But in 1 Corinthians 12, we saw that the scriptures clearly said, and I'll I'll just read them, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one faith by the same spirit. I jump down to verse 9. But this passage is saying to each and every person, certain manifestations of the Spirit are given to certain people. And it says one of those manifestations of the Spirit is faith. I don't know if you realize what the Bible is telling you there, but it is telling you that man, that Faith is a manifestation of the Spirit. You actually seeing the Spirit of God manifest itself when you are seeing somebody walking and talking like that. You've got big faith. That's what Jesus meant in the Gospels when he said, I haven't seen such great faith. He meant, I haven't seen such a great manifestation of the Holy Spirit because humans are not the source of faith. We had 2,000 years of the law to prove that we doubt God all the time and we go to the idols and, and worship them and do all sorts of strange things out of doubt of God. So we never had the faith. The law showed us that we didn't have the faith. And God said, I'll make a new covenant where I'll put my spirit within them and it'll cause them to walk in my statutes or live an exemplary Christian life or live a life full of faith. Well, that faith is not of human origin. That faith is a manifestation of the spirit. Let me say that again. Faith is a manifestation of the Spirit. I'm not saying that. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and 9 is telling you that faith is a manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, it was how determined you are to believe God in the Old Testament, but now that we've come to the New Testament and the New Covenant, in the New Covenant, Faith is redefined just like a term of art. If I said this pen is a writing utensil that writes using lead, you'd say, no, that's a pencil. Pencils use lead, pens use ink. But for the sake of the contract, I'm making a term of art saying that it's a writing utensil that writes with lead. And for the the rest of the the covenant, the contract, it is defined that way. Well, it is faith now in the New Testament is defined as a manifestation of the Spirit. It's had a term of art applied to it. 
and for the sake of this new contract that you're reading about in the epistles, which the epistles are the new contract, for the sake of the new contract, faith is a manifestation of the Spirit. And the new contract reads better. It makes more sense when you read any of these epistles and come to the word faith and realize it's a manifestation of the Spirit, the passage reads better. And I'm going to give you an example of that in the book of James in a few minutes. But that was our review of 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah, and also it's important to see, and you mentioned it, but Jesus points it out very clearly to the, I think it's in Matthew 23, he's railing on the uh, the Pharisees, and he says, you, you tithe on your spices, but you ignore the weightier matters of the law, and the first weightier matter, probably the most weightiest matter of the law, it was faith. And he says that. You ignore faith. Why you would they ignore it? Because they can't produce it. They could not produce it. And he says that is the, the weightiest matter of the law. The law was the covenant between man and God that they agreed to. And it was to show that if they were faithful to the covenant, God would be faithful to the covenant. And the whole purpose of that was to dismiss this idea that we can work up any faithfulness to God. So therefore you've got the Pharisees saying, hey, tithe on your mint and your dill. That's very important. We want you to do that because we can actually do that. I don't want you to think about using faith because we Pharisees have no faith. We can't. We, we fall short in that area, so we'll just give you a different area. But Jesus was saying that's the more important thing, not tithing on your spices, but faith is the more important issue, and you're ignoring it because you can't produce it. You're running away from the issue, Jesus was telling the Pharisees. And that's why it's Sadly, there's some translations that even in Galatians 2, let me see where it is. I think it's in 16, 15 or 16. He says that we know that a man is not justified or declared righteous. Some translations say they mean the same thing by the works of the law, but by the NIV says faith in Christ. The New English translation, which which we love and has the notes, and it explains why they translated it, said, it says, we know a man is not declared righteous by the works of the law. And Jesus, remember, we just read that verse. He defined the weightiest matter of the law as mm -hmm. your faithfulness. Yes. So he says a man is not justified by the works of the law. A man is not justified by his faithfulness. He's disqualified by his faithfulness. So knowing this, this, he's rebuking Peter for going back to the law that disqualified him and saying, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to live by something that disqualifies you every day? 
if you're living by the idea that it's your faithfulness to the covenant or your faith in God, you're disqualifying yourself. But you disqualifying yourself does not disqualify the covenant that God set up where he would live by his faith. So he says, a man is not justified, not declared righteousness by the works of the law, meaning your faithfulness, but by the faithfulness of Christ. That was say that, that again. That a man is you're not... You're reading Galatians 2, 17 or 18, yeah. and it says it, it is by a what? is declared righteous by the faithfulness of Christ and not declared righteous by the works of the law. And the weightiest matter of the law was your faithfulness to the covenant. Yeah, and that's why Paul goes on in the next verse to say, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life lived in this body is lived by the faithfulness of Christ. Christ. He is the one who produces faith. Isn't faith love, the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not humanly produced. Humanly speaking, we don't even have a mustard seed of faith. That's why in Romans 12, it can say, don't Think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves according to the measure of faith given to you. Given, did you say? Given. Why? Because you don't have any. You don't have any to give. So it's given to you by the Holy Spirit manifesting itself. Remember, the new covenant definition of faith is a manifestation of God. It's not the ability to believe. It's not the ability to move a mountain. It's not any of those things that we used to think it was. It is defined verbatim as a manifestation of the Spirit of God. That's why in 2 Timothy 1 5 or so, it, it could say, hey, take care of Eunice and. and Lois. Your grandmother and Lois, your mother, in whom the faith lives in them. The faith lives, it's a living entity that lives in people and it manifests itself. The living entity is the spirit that lives inside of you. In Second Timothy, it's called faith again. Faith is the entity that lives inside of you. And a manifestation of that entity that lives inside of you can be called faith when that's what it looks like. That's exactly, and it, it, it goes on to say, consider Abraham, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And probably another time, but we'll, ha we'll have to look at that sometime because it says Abraham believed God. Yes. And then th there was a covenant cut and Abraham was asleep in the covenant. So he, he may have believed God. We don't know. No, he but fell on his face and laughed at God. Well, the next verse, yeah. Yeah. If you're going yeah. to use that. <laughs> yeah. 
Abraham never did. And you know what? We're going to look at Abraham in the book of James, where I was telling you that 1 Corinthians 12 defines faith as a manifestation of the Spirit, and you have to look at the faith that James is talking about in James chapter 1 as a manifestation of the Spirit. If you look at the word faith as something else, the book of James doesn't make sense. But once we see it as a manifestation of the Spirit, we can see that the whole book is written about manifesting the Spirit. I'm telling you, the thesis statement of the book of James is about manifesting the Spirit and that there's a new way of life that Paul taught everywhere in every church that is in Christ that relies on manifesting the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. There's a new way of life that you can live and it the new way of life is all about manifesting the Spirit and waiting on the Spirit. And we'll, we'll look at James and you'll see it reads a little different once we define faith as a manifestation of the Spirit. So we'll actually go to James. I'll just start off in verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Okay, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that when you're tested, it'll produce endurance. No, that's not what it says. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Remember how faith is defined right there. Knowing that the testing of a manifestation of God produces endurance. Can I interrupt you a second? Yes. I always thought, and it took me a long time, you had to show me this like 17 times before I I actually saw what you were saying. I thought the testing of my faith was testing me to see if I was a believer or being faithful or believing even when I'm yeah, yeah, some form of the old covenant definition of faith, because that was the old covenant, how faith was defined. When we get to the new covenant, and you know that you never could produce any faith, you realize that the new covenant is defining faith as a manifestation of the Spirit. There's no reason to test Bill. He fails to test. That's why there's a new covenant in the first place. 2,000 years proved that Bill couldn't do it. The law was set up to test Bill, so not to for God to test Bill, for Bill to see that he doesn't and make what, the grade. He doesn't does believe. The, the law was put in place to hold everyone accountable. 
to God. To shut their mouth. To shut their mouth, yeah. It literally says the law was given to make everybody accountable and shut shut their their mouth. mouth. So the law should make you accountable and shut your mouth when it comes down to the idea of how faithful you are or how much you believe. (laughs) Perfect, perfect. But if you take the new covenant definition of faith as a manifestation of the spirit, this passage and the rest of James will read it just reads well. It flows like a river. And that's what we're going to look at. Okay, you guys, get a load of this. I, I'm in, in, in James, and I'm starting at verse 3, or verse 2. Consider it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that when you get tested, no, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Remember, the new covenant definition of faith is a manifestation of the Spirit. So let me read it like that. Consider it all joys when you face various trials, knowing that the testing for a manifestation of the Spirit produces endurance. Do you see that word endurance? You you know, in Hebrews, it says, now we all need endurance. Or in Romans 15, um, five. Yeah, 15, five talks about the endurance. May you read it? Yeah. Now may the God who honors your conjured up endurance and encouragement. (laughs) Not quite, Bill. I think you might have read that wrong. I read it how I want to read it. Yeah, yeah. You want me to read it how it actually says? Just word for word. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to or by Jesus Christ. Okay, the God who gives endurance. We don't have any endurance in and of ourselves. We have to be given endurance. And now that you've been turned on to the idea, you'll see all through the epistles, well, not all through, but there's quite a few mentions of God giving us the endurance or supplying the endurance that it needs, just like Paul had to, needed a supply of endurance because in Philippians, he was, he was, he was going to, go before court and he was in jail and what did he say i know that i will not be put to shame in anything because of your prayers and a supply of the spirit of jesus a supply of the spirit of jesus a supply of endurance a supply of the spirit manifesting itself that's what the spirit does that's how James is using the word faith in this letter. And you'll see that it reads much smoother. Knowing that the testing of, for a supply of the Spirit produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect, complete, 
lacking nothing. Didn't we just read where we all need endurance? That would be lacking endurance. This is saying we would lack nothing that he'd supply everything we need for life and godliness, which is another verse. Do you want to hear the definition of endurance and the, the actual Greek word? Yep, yep, yep. Let's do it. It's got one of our, well, if I misread it, it's got one of our band words, which I won't. Okay. But it's, the Greek word for endurance is hypermone or hypermone. You could say it. I think it's hypermone. And the definition is steadfastness, cons- constancy, endurance. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Someone with endurance, you can't move them. They're unmoved. That, that's what it's saying. Yeah, that, that, that's why in, in Romans it says, may the God who is who makes you stand will... will well, look, look at this. I'm going to read it again. Okay. Just so we get it. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Jesus Christ. Yep. So, endurance is given by God. It's, Meaning it's a gift of the Spirit. It, it's not of human source. It's not. No. Not of mine. I'm... Yeah, exactly, exactly. And see how James reads so much better. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing for a manifestation of the Spirit produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work in you, and you will be perfect, complete, not lacking anything. It flows like a river when you define faith properly as a new covenant term of art, like like we're saying. But let's go on and see how the book of James uses this term of art that we're looking at. Do you remember in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14? It's a very famous verse that a lot of people use legalists use this verse quite a bit, but watch what happens when we put the new covenant definition to this word that James is going to use in James 2.14 and following. I'm going to read the whole passage. It's quite a long passage, unless Bill wants to read it. I'm not quite there yet. Okay. Okay. You do your thing. I'm going to read this passage. What use is it, brothers, if a man says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, yet do not Give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. 
But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by the works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons believe also in shudder. So you're no better than a demon. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellows, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And as the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Or you see that a man is justified works by works and not faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So in this passage, it, it sounds like you have to have faith and works, but let's see what this passage is actually talking about as far as faith as we know it with a new covenant definition, a manifestation of the Spirit. Faith is a manifestation of the Spirit in the new covenant. Let, let me read this. What use is it, brother, if a man says he has a manifestation of the spirit but has no works can that manifestation save him if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to him go in peace be warm be filled and does not give him anything that he needs what use is that even so a manifestation of the spirit if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have a manifestation of the Spirit, and I have works. Show me your manifestation without works, and I will show you my manifestation by my words. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe that. But are you not willing to recognize, you foolish fellows, that a manifestation of the Spirit without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by a manifestation of the Spirit when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that a manifestation of the Spirit was working with his works, and as a result, of his works, a manifestation of the Spirit was perfected, and the Scripture was fulfilled, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Or, what about Rahab the harlot? Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body 
without the spirit is dead, so also is a manifestation of the spirit without works is dead. Let, let me just go through that real quick and this will blow your mind. First off in verse 14, it's talking about there is a saving faith or manifestation in one that doesn't save you. Then it goes on in verse 17, it says, even so faith, if it has no works is dead being by itself. Now let's read this with what I know about this word dead. It's the word necros, but the second definition of it is inoperative or dormant. Let me read this passage now. Even so, a manifestation of the Spirit, if it has no works, is dormant, being by itself. But someone may well say, I have a manifestation of the Spirit, and I will show you by my works. Show me your manifestation without the works, and I will show you mine with the works. Okay, verse 20, but are you not willing to recognize foolish fellows that a manifestation of the Spirit without works is dormant or inoperative? It's not working. In other words, the Spirit isn't manifesting itself. You, you say that it's manifesting, which is what the whole letter of 1 John is about. Somebody who says, I'm manifesting God, I'm manifesting God, but isn't acting right, you know he's not manifesting God. Well, this is the same thing. Somebody saying, I'm manifesting God, I'm manifesting God, but he's not doing the right thing, then he's not manifesting God. And it gives Abraham as an example, you've got to realize what he's doing here when he compares Abraham to Rahab. Abraham was told he was going to be the father of many nations when he was 76. He was 113 years old when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, which is what this passage is talking about. But from 76 to 113 years old, Abraham acted like a yahoo. He went on and on, giving his wife to another king, having sex with his maid, trying to get pregnant, fell on his face and laughed at God when God said, next year you're going to have a baby. So they named the baby Laughter because Abraham was laughing. Abraham and Sarah were laughing at God. Why? This explains it. For 37 years, faith was dormant. Faith was dormant. Bill, say that again. For 38 years, check your math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the faithfulness of God was dormant. The, the activity of the Spirit of God was dormant. Now, in contrast, Rahab, she immediately, after saying, I believe in your God, she immediately did works. Her works were not dormant. They were active. Immediately, her manifestation of the Spirit was active, not dormant. You see, that passage, when you define dead right, 
it, it makes sense. It's talking about when your faith is active and when it's dormant. And it, it's telling you that, you know what? Your faith could be act, uh, dormant for years and years and years and then become active. Or as soon as you become a believer, your faith may become active and, and show itself all along. But either way, it is a manifestation of the Spirit. Whether you're manifesting the Spirit, that idea is active or dormant. And you have no say-so over whether it's active or dormant. So you just have to pray to God all the time that you're manifesting the Spirit. But And look at the, the character of Rahab and what she did. I don't know Rahab, so I apologize if I ever meet her one day. But it says she was a harlot. And did she participate in a cover-up? And a lie to hide the spies? She was lying like a big dog. That would be a sin to a legalist. But it was a manifestation of the faithfulness of God that manifested in Rahab. Rahab. The yes. harlot who participated in a cover up. Yes. And Abraham, it says he believed God right at the beginning. But it was 37, 38 years before that dormant faith ever manifested. Yes. So I, I like that definition of faith without works is dormant. dormant. Yeah. yeah. And it, it says, and Abraham was justified. He, he wasn't justified before God. He was justified in the sight of all the people around him. That passage, when it talks about being justified, it's being justified by the people who see your words. You are justified by your works, it says. Well, they can see them and justify you. They can say, man, you're really acting righteous in what they should say then. Praise God, not praise you. So it was the faithfulness of God that allowed Abraham to offer up his son yes yes and I believe in Colossians chapter 1 the first 10 verses in there Paul actually thanks God because he saw their faith and love growing because they don't cause faith or love to grow God causes the faith or love to grow God causes the faith or love to manifest itself and not be dormant. I know we're just turning you on to this idea and you, you've got a lot of absorbing and pondering to do. Please do that pondering because once you do, the more, if you think about this idea a little bit, it, it seems to make sense. But if you think about it a lot, it really begins to make sense. It, it just comes alive and you say, how can these scriptures be seen any other way? It's the only way to explain the whole Bible is the faithfulness of God. The, the, the Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, is all the way God's faithful purpose and plan came to pass through unwilling people 
and we we think it's their faithfulness that got them into the what do they call that the hall of hall of faith. Uh, yeah. You know, no, it's the faithfulness of God who had this plan from eternity past and carried it all the way through to completion. In fact, the letter to Hebrews starts the God who in times past, various ways in a different time, mm-hmm. brought everything into existence and his plan was faithfully brought about, including Abraham and Rahab both were beneficiaries of the faithfulness of God to bring a promise seed, to bring a savior to the world, for Rahab to keep that promise going and not let it get ended by uh, capturing of the uh, spies. And on and on and on it goes. It, it's always been the faithfulness of God. Always. Every time God wants something done right, he does it himself. He just does it through somebody like Abraham. That's why you you see you you read several chapters about Abraham and all that he did and everything. But Jesus said, "I tell you, you search the scriptures, but they testify about me." me. You can see Christ in Abraham when he's not dormant. You can see it when. Christ in Abraham becomes active, you can see it. It it turns out to be a manifestation. Abraham saw it. It says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he did. When Abraham was out, when the covenant was cut, somehow God saw, I mean, somehow Abraham saw Jesus. And that's what Jesus told the Pharisees when he said, I know you're Abraham's seed. But you're also a seed of the adversary, too. So you see, that's another topic. I won't bring that up. But but Abraham's day, Abraham longed to see the day of Jesus, and he did see it. All those years in advance, it was God's faithfulness that implemented the whole plan of Jesus to be there on the day when he confronted the, the Pharisees, right after he let the woman go who was caught in adultery. That, that's why it talks about Abraham and Moses and Noah and all these people and calls them prophets and say they looked intently with great expectations trying to find out when or where the sufferings of Christ were predicted. They didn't know what it meant and they were prophesying about it, but it, it says they were searching intently trying to figure out what the spirit of Christ within them. them was indicating. In other words, Jesus was speaking through them. It was a manifestation of Jesus. And that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, that the spirit manifests itself. And one of the manifestations of the spirit was prophecy. And those people were prophesying It was the spirit of Jesus manifesting itself to give that prophecy. That's why Jesus could say, those scriptures testify about me. It was him in each one of those people that you see prophesying, doing the prophecy for them. Faithfully carrying out God's plan before time began. 
before anything began. Yeah. It was all, all his all his plan and all his purpose and all his faithfulness to carry it out. And it's the same today. It's the faithfulness of Christ. Christ in us. Yeah. Try and recap what all I was saying in like two minutes or less. Can you do that? I can definitely do it under two minutes because <laughs> I don't have a thought in my mind. No. We were seeing the the faithfulness of God contrasted with the unfaithfulness of man. And we're seeing that the faithfulness of God is manifested and tested so that there's absolutely no doubt it's the faithfulness of God versus the faithfulness of men, which is also tried and tested and produces no fruit. So we desperately want to wait on the faithfulness of Christ and we definitely call it the faithfulness of Christ and not our faith because our faith produces no works and is a dead faith. And also, which is really important, the other definition of dead faith is dormant faith. And it doesn't mean you don't have the faithfulness of Christ because you have everything when you have Christ. But it can remain dormant in the case of Abraham for 37 years versus the case of Rahab, that faith was not dormant at all. It was almost instantaneously. And it had nothing to do with the character of Abraham or Rahab. So bottom line, true genuine faith is a manifestation of the Spirit of God only. Exactly. Exactly. If, if we understand what faith is, then we can read the whole New Testament in a new way. If we read it from that angle, that the same way we were dependent on everything else for the Spirit, we're also dependent on God's faithfulness or God's faith in through the Spirit. Yes. We're only going to have the faith of God through the Spirit of God, which is what Paul said, the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Obviously, it's not his faith because he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live to produce my faith. But Christ lives in me and the life I do live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He couldn't have been more blatant. No. And then the next in the King James says, that's why I don't frustrate the grace of God. Because if righteousness or faithfulness could be obtained by just human effort, then Jesus didn't need to go through all that he suffered on the cross to do that. Yeah. If we could just try harder and believe, believe better. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's called frustrating the grace of God. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Do you want me to close us in prayer? Yes. Father God, please, please, please allow us to get a root in. Uh, allow us, allow this one thought that faith is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, just like every other good 
virtue is, just like every other characteristic that we're proud of, they are all manifestations of your spirit coming through you. If we understand just that one point, we can see God at work all day long through several people. You don't know where he'll show up. The next person you run into might show you a little bit of God. He, God may manifest himself through the next person you meet. Or when you come home tonight, your wife or husband may manifest the Spirit of God and your fellowship tonight will be full of joy. Father, this is what I'm asking you to cause the guardians of grace to realize and to take root in that thought. Let that become a new way of life, like Paul said that he taught everywhere in every church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. We love you. We love you guys. Good night.